It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Now, from our nation's capital, this is Bloomberg Sound On. It is a day of great loss, but Queen Elizabeth II leaves a great legacy. Our hearts go uh, to the people of the United Kingdom. She was one of my favorite people in the world, and I will miss her so. Bloomberg Sound On. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Nobody can say that what happened on the 4th of July, 1776, wasn't very much a bilateral affair between us. <laughs> Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The Queen has died. All hail the King. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics as the world mourns Elizabeth II, who outlived a dozen U.S. presidents. We'll talk about what this means for the special relationship and what the new king might bring to the United Kingdom over the next hour. Joined by Bloomberg's Flavia Krauss-Jackson, Tony Gardner, former U.S. ambassador to the European Union under President Obama, and Virginia Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, a former CIA officer who serves on the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Also, our panel, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Republican strategist Rick Davis, back with us today, joined by Democratic strategist Johanna Masca from the Global Situation Room. The news of the Queen passing came during the White House press briefing today. White House Press Secretary Corrine Jean-Pierre was told by a reporter. Okay, so... That's been confirmed? Okay. The royal family. Um, So, as I said earlier, um, you know, our hearts and our thoughts uh, go to uh, the family members uh, of the Queen. Statement from President Biden. A written statement came out a couple of hours later. It reads, quote, in part, Quote, Queen Elizabeth II was a stateswoman of unmatched dignity and constancy who deepened the bedrock alliance between the United Kingdom and the United States. She helped make our relationship special, unquote. We have not heard from the president yet. Uh, as he canceled his speech because of this earlier in the day, it was uh, supposed to be about COVID, but he is scheduled to speak at a DNC fundraiser a bit later on. We'll let you know if he uses that as an opportunity. Since then, of course, tributes, condolences have been pouring in from around the world, around the political sphere. You've been hearing about it all day on Bloomberg Radio. Prime Minister Liz Truss, who met with the Queen just two days ago. With the passing of the second Elizabethan age, we usher in a new era in the magnificent history of our great country exactly as Her Majesty would have wished, by saying the words, God save the King. God save the King. The question is, what will he choose for a name? That conversation later. The Prime Minister went on to speak to the elaborate process that's about to unfold. In the difficult days ahead, we will come together with our friends across the United Kingdom, the Commonwealth and the world to celebrate her extraordinary lifetime of service. 
Let's start here with Flavia Krauss-Jackson, the managing editor for Washington's U.S. government coverage here at Bloomberg. She used to head Bloomberg's U.K. government coverage, and we're lucky to have you uh, with us today, Flavia. This is by law now, right? The next 10 days uh, are going to be very carefully choreographed. Oh, absolutely. To the absolute to um, to the absolute T, no ifs and no buts. But, you know, to be sure, um, it is Charles III. Um, Liz Truss herself let the cat out of the bag earlier. Okay. Maybe not intentionally or not, but we all, we uh, royal watchers, uh, our, our ears immediately pricked up. It's like, hold on a sec. Uh, I thought there was going to be a bit of confusion over... Or, 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 you know, he was going to sort of, it wasn't automatic that he was going yes, to be Yes, right. So he he's going have, with he it. He went have, with the obvious pick. He, he, well, yeah, well, yes. But, you know, of course, um, there is a protocol to be followed there. And, you know, in theory, he, it, it's his decision to make. And I'm sure it mm-hmm. was. And it was his to, to announce. Um, and the speculation, of course, was that he might have gone maybe with, with the name of uh, his grandfather and gone with the George. Uh, you know, the Charles in, in English history did not have a great reputation. The first one got his head lopped off. Um, but, you know, I'm sure he'll be changing the course of that as Charles yeah. III. But yes, uh, she did get put the cup for the horse and it was confirmed by um, his own office. He automatically um, so became king the moment uh, his mother died. Uh, and we have and a great TikTok. Yes. yes, there's a great TikTok on the terminal that shows us what's going to happen over the next 10 days here. Day 10, though, state funeral at Westminster Abbey. They've been planning this for decades, Flavia. Yes. Uh, I mean, at, at this point, the Guardian article uh, about London Bridge must be the most clicked thing uh, in the metaverse. Huh. Um, it really takes you right through to every little step of the way, how the BBC was going to handle it, um, mm-hmm. the bank holidays, etc. It all needs to be run just right. Uh, but of course, you know, there is, there is a nation in shock. Uh, we are the country of the stiff upper lip, and yet uh, we're also very emotional people, um, as, you know, the, the Diana thing can attest to. And I think um, it's going to take a while to digest this. It's really going to reverberate, I think, in, in the public psyche, uh, especially given the, the changes and the tumult that the country has gone through, be it Brexit, uh, be it now, uh, yeah. you know, new prime minister, it, it's, it's just a lot to absorb. And I would expect this to reverberate for quite some time. Flavia, thank you for being with us. I know you've had an incredibly busy day uh, working in the newsroom. I'm glad to have your insights. Flavia Cross-Jackson, managing editor here at Bloomberg in Washington, sharing insights as we get things started here on Bloomberg Sound On. And to Flavia's point, I saw the statistics today. You probably heard of this. One out of 10 people was alive in this country when Elizabeth became queen. That means most only know a world in which there is a Queen Elizabeth II. We extend the conversation now with the voice of a U.S. lawmaker. Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, Democrat from Virginia, uh, is with us right now on Bloomberg Sound On. We're typically talking about policy like infrastructure or foreign policy. In this case, there is an overlap there as the congresswoman, a former CIA officer, uh, now member of the House Foreign Affairs Committee. Congresswoman, it's great to have you with us here. There's obviously uh, a lot of protocol that's going to follow here and a lot of history is going to unfold uh, from a political standpoint, though, does this mean anything about the U.S. relationship with the U.K.? Well, I think uh, the the U.K. has always been just such an incredible partner to the United States. We have uh, in the intelligence world what is considered to be a very special relationship in terms of our information sharing and our partnership. Mm-hmm. Um, but when we're reflecting on the passing of the Queen, I think that, you know, 
incredibly and notably the fact that after uh, September 11th, she broke with tradition and had our Star Spangled Banner played um, outside of Buckingham Palace as a tribute to uh, her partners, her friends, uh, her American counterparts, as as we were in such a time of deep, deep hurting, I think uh, just amplifies the the connection between our two countries. Um, uh, moving forward, uh, I think that our you know relationships obviously are quite strong, and mm-hmm. uh, our intelligence sharing, our our work together across a whole myriad of challenges that our two nations face. Um, but certainly, the the humanity um, and the person uh, that the, the the Queen brought to her role uh, as as the British monarch, and certainly her many visits to yeah. the United States, including to Virginia. Um, are ones that I think will be treasured memories for many who had a, had the opportunity to participate. Yeah, you worked with British counterparts both as a member of the CIA and a, as a as a current member of Congress. Give us a sense of how closely tied the intelligence relationship is specifically between our two countries. Uh, well, so certainly the intelligence relationship is incredibly incredibly uh, connected, and in fact. I actually did not ever directly work with uh, British intelligence because anyone who was working undercover and could not be, uh, whose name could not be given to the our, our British counterparts, uh, if you were not declarable to the British, you did not meet with the British. I understand. We did not. <laughs> but I, that, to answer your question, that, that speaks to the level of um, partnership that our intelligence officers were themselves were straightforward about who they are, um, and we partnered on. Uh, you know, certainly for the past uh, number of decades, our, our global uh, war on terror, we were um, close, close partners, certainly uh, in, in the onset with the, the, the bombing of the coal and then the 9-11 attacks, but certainly the London bombings um, and subsequent terrorist attacks there, uh, I think, heightened the resolve and the partnership that exists between British intelligence yeah. and CIA. Uh, the leadership of the two organizations are in close contact, and uh, our CIA, our nation's CIA officers who work in London Station or who work throughout the world mm-hmm. uh, frequently and consistently partner uh, with British Intel um, because the quality of the information they have is, is so strong and the trust uh, and the partnership yeah. between our two nations is so paramount to our mutual security. My producers say you're being modest about that. But as we take a look at the the current political landscape in the UK, and this is going to come before you as a member of the Foreign Affairs Committee, there's a two-day-old or something, I believe it's two-day-old prime minister who amazingly was photographed with the Queen, you know, on Tuesday, I guess a three-day-old prime minister. Uh, there's enormous change, as Flavia mentioned, as we consider Brexit, as we consider uh, the new prime minister, and now, of course, the passing of the Queen. Uh, does this create a concern for instability on any level? How does the how does the committee deal with this? I think that it, it, it speaks to the need for us to be as stable and as good of partners uh, to um, our friends in Parliament, to our counterparts in the British government, uh, certainly because they are going through a time of, of great change yeah. uh, with a new prime minister. But, but even just, frankly speaking, emotionally, the fact that this uh, permanent fixture in the life of, of so many of our counterparts uh, has passed away and, and they're 
um, looking at the the next generation of leadership within the monarchy. Um, And certainly there will be changes that come with that. But, you know, when we look at even just the, the past this past year and our direct work and partnership with um, our, our British counterparts as it relates to uh, support, uh, ensuring support for the Ukrainian people, mm-hmm. standing up strong against uh, Russian incursion, uh, support for uh, Finland and Sweden to join NATO. Um, our, our, our English counterparts, our British counterparts have been absolutely Know, by our side, we've been by their side, and so I think as uh, as they go through what continues to be a, a, a challenging, you know, a path forward as it relates particularly to Brexit, yeah. um, with uh, new leadership at the helm of Parliament and now at the monarchy, um, I think the Foreign Affairs Committee needs to continue to demonstrate our respect for and appreciation for the very close and, and uh, very unique relationship that that we have. Uh, with our, our British counterparts. Uh, have, but you heard, I, have you well, heard from Speaker Pelosi's office uh, about any sort of uh, tributes in the House or, or uh, Codell that, that might be traveling in 10 days to the funeral? Uh, so there's been a, a, a kind of an initial statement put out by the Speaker of the House, uh, certainly uh, celebrating the life of the late Queen, yeah. uh, but there's not any formal planning just yet, although I, I do expect that um, that there will be a delegation of Americans uh, that will be uh, fulsome and robust uh, as, as we, as as partners and as friends, um, and certainly those who had the opportunity to meet with and work with uh, the Queen over the years or be welcomed to the country, uh, will want to make sure that they're paying their full respect to her. Uh, so uh, we don't have details yet, but I do expect that we will have uh, the, the very appropriate showing of, of respect um, and and gratitude for uh, for her leadership and and certainly uh, be there to pay our our respects to our counterparts who are uh, mourning the loss of their monarch. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate your joining us to talk about it. Uh, a little bit of a diversion from our normal conversation with Congresswoman Abigail Spanberger, the Dem- Democrat from Virginia, as I mentioned, House Foreign Affairs, and a former member of the CIA. We thought her perspective would be unique. We'll assemble the panel next as we go over the course of this hour and go through some of uh, these conversations. We also want to bring you some important moments that the Queen spent here in Washington. Uh, Remember, outlived a dozen presidents. Guess she met 13 presidents with the exception of every president the last 70 years with the exception of uh, President Johnson, Lyndon Johnson. But we remember when she came to meet with President Ford, it was the bicentennial, 1976, outside the White House. And boy, was there a crowd on the South Lawn, President Ford welcoming the Queen. Your Majesty, Your Royal Highness, ladies and gentlemen, on behalf of the American people, I am delighted to welcome you and your party to the United States and to the White House. Your first state visit to America in 1957 marked the 350th anniversary of the settlement of Jamestown, the first permanent British colony in this new land. You honor us again by coming to share our bicentennial observance. It was a very formal situation. There was a military presence. The Queen spoke as well. For nearly 170 years, there was a formal constitutional link between us. 
Your declaration of independence broke that link, but it did not for long break our friendship. Spent the day in Washington and by the state dinner that night, it wasn't so formal. In fact, we started to see, well, it was plenty formal, but we started to see some humor. Something that she showed a lot more over the years in Washington, D.C. And as she made her toast to President Ford, she owned the room. We are deeply grateful for having been invited to visit the United States in the main week of your bicentenary. It was a generous gesture and apposite. After all, nobody can say that what happened on the 4th of July, 1776, wasn't very much a a bilateral affair between us. (laughs) We were indeed happy to accept your invitation. Seemed to loosen up the room. And she would use that over the years in visits here, as we'll play for you this hour. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Welcome to a special edition of Bloomberg Sound On, exclusively on Bloomberg Radio. As we assemble our panel, Rick Davis is back with us, Republican uh, strategist and Bloomberg politics contributor, joined today by Democratic strategist Johanna Maska of the Global Situation Room. Thanks to both of you for being here. Uh, Rick, this is a pretty big development to happen in the same week that this country gets a new prime minister. Uh, it's not often that we see history written in real time like this. Yeah, that's right, Joe. I mean, one of the things that was most striking is uh, when the uh, prime minister incoming, you know, they they get appointed basically by the queen. And uh, uh, she traveled out, Liz, to Bal- uh, the castle and Balmora. And, and the picture that was released looked a, a very vibrant queen standing on her own, um, just looking great. And and I remember looking at them, going, oh, I'm so glad this was able to happen the way it did. I mean, you know, she's been ill. She hasn't been very mobile. And uh, and the fact that she was able to install this new ambassador, uh, this new prime minister was just fantastic. It, it never even occurred to me that this might be the last picture we see of her. Yeah. And, you know, look, it, it, it was something that we saw coming uh, today. Johanna, there were reports this morning when once the statement came out from Buckingham Palace that she was ill. That was considered, you know, the, the, her health was of grave concern. That was considered very unusual. And obviously something was was happening for real. The family members were on their way. Uh, but to finally hear that news break, my goodness, to think uh, of how many people don't understand or, or know a world without Queen Elizabeth II is kind of remarkable, not only on a political level, but just on a popular level here. This is somebody who is on the front page of not just the Washington Post, but People magazine. She was depicted in movies. It's it's something that goes to the core. Absolutely. And it is. It's an end of an era. I mean, I think all of, all of us are among the people who uh, haven't lived through uh, a world in um, in which we don't have Queen Elizabeth. I, I traveled to um, Buckingham Palace with President Obama now 11 years ago and had the um, incredible uh, fortune to meet the queen and see her. She is um, she was uh, very small in stature, but my God, what a life, what she has lived. I think, though, this is, um, you know, this was expected and we can't live forever. And I think all of us and people in Washington need to remember that. And um, and when she was the receiver of the baton, a lot of people said she wasn't ready. 
and that she wouldn't be able to um, uh, lead the country with the grace that she has. Mm -hmm. But this passing of the baton is coming. And it's, um, it is significant in Britain. I think it's also going to be significant in the U.S. In, I know we don't have royalty, but we have a lot of people who've been in these positions of power yeah. for almost the duration of Queen Elizabeth's reign. <laughs> almost being so, the key word there. She was, a, she was a big fan of the Obamas. You were, you were there yeah. for this. Mr. President, I'm delighted to welcome you and Mrs. Obama to London. Prince Philip and I are so glad that you are visiting the United Kingdom again. We remember the image of uh, the two daughters getting a carriage ride and, and some of the sort of very family-oriented stuff going on there. But there was also the protocol, uh, Johanna, and you, you were there for that too, right? The toast, <laughs> my God, it was like an international incident, the touch. Uh, <laughs> if people don't remember this, Barack Obama, the, the president of the United States, decides to break protocol and toast the queen before and, as it turned out, during the anthem playing. Ladies and gentlemen, please stand with me and raise your glasses as I propose a toast. I'd be so lost if I had to do this for a living. This is the way you had to do it. It's a right way to, to do it. Your Majesty, the Queen. Okay, so he goes into the, the toast. The vitality of the special relationship. Oh, God, the music. Between our peoples. Oh, boy. And, in the words of Shakespeare, to this blessed plot, this and earth. What can the president do? This realm. But just stop, and the music comes up. Johanna, how, uh, how tough was that to deal with that day? Honestly, though, I think um, Americans aren't always as protocol oriented. And so <laughs> I think uh, I think our friends um, in across the pond are well aware of that. Was the um, staff and, outraged, though, and the queen was was endeared? Like, well, how did well, what was the real reaction? That is that is the truth is uh, there's a lot of protocol staff that's oh, it's, this is protocol. This yeah. is protocol. And that's with a lot of countries. And often the leaders themselves are the ones who are saying it's okay let's you know actually get to know each other and um and so you know i think it was a very special relationship i think she um my gosh again the history the ability that she has to tell to give le lessons of her own history i mean it's incredible but i i think um as you know that steady hand comes to close that is also the the political uh, dynamics are the thing that frightened me the most for mm. the new king. Number one, I mean, I don't think a number of us Americans are going to have the same uh, reverence yeah. for a king that we have seen played out on television as uh -huh. the person who divorced the mom of uh, his boy, sons, boy, yeah. the philanderer who probably should have Jeez. always married Camilla. Um, and and now, you know, his son has been in the U.S. and has kind of gotten involved in the U.S. political system. And I can see this being so many red flags because we are not in a place of political no. stability. I know, Rick, you and I have been talking about this, but we have seen massive, you know, <laughs> polarity in our country. Well, what and do you so think about this, Rick? Before you that, add another layer here, ooh. I mean, that that is pretty, that's a tough, uh, my God, I don't know if he'll be called a philanderer when he walks into the room here, but the king, <laughs> how do you deal with the king's sort of image rebuilding? Is it, does he introduce, reintroduce himself like a politician, Rick? You know, it's, it, it is a moment for a reset, right? And you don't get these opportunities very often. This has been 70 years. 
and, uh, and, and look at the tradition she has upheld, right? I mean, nobody has a clue what her political views are. Nobody, she's got the best poker face on the face of the earth. And, <laughs> yeah. and so, and, and that has allowed political life in Great Britain to happen around her without affecting her one way or the other. And, and I think that kind of stability is something that frankly that we lack right here in the United States. There's no central authority that we can yeah. look to for sort of, you know, really, do we really think this is as off the rails as we we're seeing? So the question is, well, how will Charles act? Right. Mm -hmm. And, and, and she was able to be the stoic reminder of the stiff upper lip uh, all the while her children had all these kinds of issues. Right. I mean, this wasn't just Charles's act. They all got divorced yeah. at one point in time and, and, yeah. and which was very unusual. So it's, it's kind of neat to see this moment where we're all going to be on the edge of mm -hmm. like, uh, how's Charles going to do this? He's going to be like her. Is he going to, is he going to get activist on issues? Uh, he's certainly been that way up until now. How will the, how will becoming King affect him? Do you, does he reinvent this in, in sort of a, from a media optics standpoint, Johanna? Are we going to see uh, an unveiling like, like we have not before? I mean, we're at the point now where, where number 10 Downing Street has like the best crane shot I've ever seen in my life when things are happening. You know, and in this case this week, we saw the prime minister stride up to the podium and it's like a, a Hollywood movie. How does he use the media to his benefit? They're they're very good at protocol, but you can't change who a person is. And I um, and I think, you know, when it comes to this king, he was present at some of these events and I found him to be a little awkward. And I don't know that that's going to change. And yeah, so, right. you know, I think trying to reinvent himself at this age is also kind of a tall task. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, but I think he's going to have to navigate the dynamics of an America that's kind of um, shifting politically with a son who's already left to move mm -hmm. to the U.S. and who is involved in the political system and yeah, you know winning winning, yeah. <laughs> winning the hearts and minds of his own people and you know abroad is going to be a tall challenge. So I am not to terrifically optimistic at um, the <laughs> the space that the royals and maybe it's I'm not a royalist I mean my 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 grandmother was a war bride <laughs> from England okay. and and chose America for many reasons but mm -hmm. but at the same time I do think that they have had an important role in Europe really as a steady hand mm -hmm. in Europe and Europe mm -hmm. is already very unsure of what the U.S. is doing with our yeah. pivot to Asia and kind of our changing demographics. And so I think it's probably even for the whole of Europe um, going to be a significant shift if they can't rely on, you know, that monarch to be kind of that steady hand. So does, it'll be interesting to see who fills that void. Wait, it absolutely will. Does it uh, does it require a U.S. visit, a White House visit as soon as possible? Rick or you know King Charles at the White House does he go to a Nats game and like Ben's Chili Bowl how does that trip work yeah that's a tough tall order for a new <laughs> king uh, I, I think you know look look at the history right it all starts at home um, so I think the first time we're going to see him and, and, and sort of his impact on a global stage is going to be his relationship and building the new relationship as king with his own people right and and so how does Britain react to him? Uh, as Joanna was saying, you know, there's a whole relationship building exercise that's not without its history there. 
Uh, and then the Commonwealth is a big deal to the to the to the royals in Britain, right? They, um, one of the great successes of the Queen was building the Commonwealth from seven countries to over fifty, I think. And so I wouldn't be surprised that if he's going to go anywhere, he's going to go visit some of those Commonwealth countries that they've yeah. invested so heavily in as a family, right? It's been great for public diplomacy for the UK, but it's also been a family project. And I, I can't imagine him sort of ignoring that. And I would say, too, um, uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest that, that, that between now and certainly November of this year, when there's an election in the United States, that any royal shows up in New York or Washington or L.A. Uh, because you can't help but be dragged into the politics. And so mm -hmm. they're smart. They're going to look at this and say, yeah, there's other times that, uh, that the king's going to want to visit America, and this is not one of them. This is a great panel. Uh, Rick Davis with us, along with Johanna Maska from the Global Situation Room, as we'll continue our conversation throughout the hour here, and also bringing you back to some of the, the more uh, interesting moments or significant moments or funny moments in some cases that the Queen spent here in the nation's capital with, uh, gosh, a dozen presidents. And as, as it turned out, a joint session of Congress. 1991, House Speaker Tom Foley. Members of the Congress, it is my great privilege and I deem it a high honor and personal pleasure to present to you her Majesty Elizabeth II. Big deal, obviously, the Queen and the Speaker's rostrum. By the way, that standing ovation went on for a long time. And this was the day after, I believe, the day after huh, the hat incident at the White House. And a classic moment, as I mentioned, her use of humor uh, worked for her repeatedly in Washington, D.C. And this brings us back to an event at the White House that led to a Washington Post headline, Britain's Hat of State, a major breach of protocol at the White House, the uh, Bush White House. As the Queen went up to the podium, it had not been lowered for her height, and her purple and white hat could be seen only above the microphones when the five-foot-four queen stood to speak. So this became a big story. The president of the United States had to apologize. Chief of protocol got in trouble. And she used it to her advantage as she spoke the first words here to the joint session of Congress the next day. I do hope you can see me today from where you are. <laughs> Got a whole other standing ovation out of and had the room in the palm of her hand. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Thanks for joining us on Bloomberg Sound On, the fastest hour in politics. We have a conversation ahead with the former U.S. ambassador to the European Union. Tony Gardner will be with us. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. 
Appreciate your being with us on Bloomberg Sound On. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. Uh, Still waiting for formal details of the Queen's funeral yet to be announced. That's expected tomorrow as now the UK enters a 10-day mourning period. You might have heard this uh, this is all laid out in law. No government announcements are made. Flags at half-mast. Of course, King Charles already proclaimed King Charles III. Normal business on the following weekday of Parliament is suspended. MPs pay tribute to the new monarchs and condolences. They will then swear an oath of allegiance to the new king. Later, the Queen's coffin returned to London. Will arrive at Westminster Hall for a formal lying in state on day five. Proceedings continue, as I mentioned, for 10 days, upon which the state funeral at Westminster Abbey will take place. It will be a national holiday. The markets will be closed. It's a pleasure to bring in Tony Gardner, senior advisor at the Brunswick Group, but former U.S. ambassador to the European Union during the Obama administration. Uh, it's great to have you with us, Ambassador. Your insights today on, on what this means for Europe. This is something we were talking about a bit earlier here in the relationship the United Kingdom has uh, with Europe at this critical time with the war in Ukraine. Well, thanks for having me. Look, she will be remembered and she will be mourned uh, by many, many people, even those who are not monarchists. Uh, And one of the reasons is that she was very wise in understanding that it's not always what one says that matters. It's what one doesn't say. She was respectful of the limits of her office, but she understood also that you could uh, she could exercise significant influence by being a symbol, by being a um, a steady hand at moments that were pretty turbulent, uh, a model of public service. And I think, you know, that that resonates, especially today, quite frankly, with a lot of people who wish that more of our public servants were to follow her her role. I would also say that she played a significant role in expanding influence of the U.K., including through the, the role of the Commonwealth, and uh, very importantly, you know, playing a role in, in keeping the U.K. together. And I say that because Brexit has arguably weakened the glue to some yeah. extent that keeps the, the United Kingdom together, you know, Scotland and Great Britain and Wales and, and Northern Ireland. That uh, This is going to be important going forward. Um, and a model of stoicism, because, as I mentioned, she went through some pretty difficult times uh, on a personal level. And I think mm-hmm. people connect to her because of that. So what change will the new king bring? Very hard to tell. Uh, I'm not well placed to say that. I think he will try to... um, Is it about continuity? Well, I think he will try to respect some of the recipe of what made her a success. And Mm -hmm. I think it will be, it may be difficult uh, because... uh, uh, he is a person with the views, and by the way, I think he's underestimated. He said things and believed things well before they were um, widely believed or said. I'm thinking of certainly the environment well before his time, well before his time. Uh, but, uh, you know, what, what made her, his mother, the queen, a success is often by, as I said, being a role model. So it's, it's going to be obviously a difficult role and one that he will have to define in a different way. How does the uh, fact that we have a new prime minister just this week, just a couple of days old now, complicate 
the situation, this massive transition that's coming for the U.K.? Well, indeed. So there's a lot of change happening all at the same time. I mean, the fact that the longest-serving monarch is now dead, there's now a new prime minister, and the U.K. is facing a whole range of really uh, serious uh, issues, economic issues that are serious, compounded uh, by the war in Ukraine, but also significantly by Brexit. Um, and, uh, of course, the, the world economy is, is in difficulty, too, but the U.K. faces some pretty big challenges. So all of this is happening at a moment of enormous change. So I can tell you, I've lived in the U.K. for 22 years now, the last 22 years, and this moment feels like not only changing the guard and, new, and a new chapter, but uh, we're sailing into some pretty turbulent water. It's a difficult winter, you know, high energy prices, uh, strikes. Um, it's difficult. Having a lot of new faces will not help, in other words. Indeed. At least makes it more yeah. of a challenge. Are you struck uh, as an American living there uh, by the level of emotion, the, the emotional response that we're hearing from so many people uh, living in the U.K.? No, I'm not. And I'm not surprised because um, she was quite unique, I think, in uh, appealing to people of every type, of every social category, of every type of belief, even those, as I mentioned, who are not monarchists, who, yeah. you know, it's impossible not to have enormous respect for her clear sense of, of duty, uh, her devotion to, to the cause and, and what she did for the country. Mm-hmm. Uh, one would have to be extremely churlish not to to, to say that. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised by the outpouring of, of, of sympathies at this time. Really appreciate your time with us. Former U.S. Ambassador to the European Union in the Obama administration, Tony Gardner, now Senior Advisor at Brunswick Group, sharing some, I think, important insights as part of our hour here on Bloomberg Sound On. As we prepare to reassemble the panel, I'll remind you as well, this Queen was a big fan of American democracy and made that clear in any number of speeches, including the one I referenced before a joint session of Congress in 1991. The concept, so simply described by Abraham Lincoln, as government by the people, of the people, for the people, is fundamental to our two nations. Your Congress and our Parliament are the twin pillars of our civilizations and the chief among the many treasures that we have inherited from our predecessors. One of many moments we're sharing with you this hour on Bloomberg Radio as we reassemble the panel. Rick Davis is with us from New York. Bloomberg politics contributor, Republican strategist, along with Democratic strategist Joanna Masca, CEO of the Global Situation Room. Uh, the protocol that's about to follow here uh, is is pretty heavy duty. Uh, Johanna, how do you deal with inside the White House here deciding, for instance, who goes to the funeral and, and everything that comes with it? Yeah, it's it takes I mean, obviously, they've been planning this for a very long time. And mm-hmm. and the truth is, they already know, of course, which invitations are extended to all the different world leaders. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I guess the the interesting thing is you have family dynamics that are always kind of the sure. um, wrench in it. It's a wrench when, you know, there's a, a 
child who's out of wedlock, who's a child of a president, or it's a, you know, what it's a, uh, an issue if it's a child that's a little bit estranged. So um, those protocol things are always dealt with very delicately. Of but to your point, they're just invited. pulling the trigger on a plan that's already been drawn up, right? This, they, this was they preordained. They should be. They should. Yeah, absolutely. The question is, what's the current relationship between a father and son? You don't know that, right? Like what is, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you have to balance all of those details. And so there may be some wrenches thrown in at the last moment, Um, especially if the family members themselves throw in wrenches. You've taken Rick by her repeated uh, endorsements of, of the democratic system, (laughs) the American democratic system. It's kind of, it, it's interesting. It, she could say things that a politician could not say on her visits here. Yeah, I think that um, she's got historical standing, right? And um, and I think she can actually um, uh, give us the best of what we are from a distance. I mean, it almost takes your neighbor to tell you how good your lawn looks, not <laughs> you. You know, you're just seeing the weeds. And, <laughs> right. uh, and so I, I think that's a really important role for people like the queen over this period of time. She held so much standing because of her longevity mm-hmm. that, um, that you don't get, you know, the first two weeks you're in that post. So uh, I, I think that it's one of those things where sometimes we're, we're tougher on ourselves than others tend to be. And and, and her fascination with the American experiment, especially in democracy, yeah. uh, is something that uh, that I think we could we could really remember right now as a very positive that she saw us as the best of what we are, not not sometimes making that sausage. It's really well put, uh, Rick. She was she loved telling the story about John Adams first visit back to the UK in the summer of 1785. John Adams, America's first envoy to the court of St. James, paid his first call on King George III. My ancestor said to him in well-known words, which are worth repeating, I was the last man in the kingdom to consent to the separation. But the separation having been made, I have always said, as I say now, that I would be the first to meet the friendship of the United States as an independent power. Is that why she's so popular here in America, Joanna, in a way that a prime minister probably could not be? That and just her grace. I mean, truly, she. I think that that is when she was first coming to power, she didn't have a long history. So there wasn't, you know, you couldn't kind of cast her one way or another. And over the course of her leadership, she really maintained that um that composure that I think was really important. So I think, you know, certainly, obviously, Americans, we love when people love us because we love ourselves so much. We love America. So when she, you know, comes over and flatters us about America, 100% on board. But I think it was more than that. I think there are so many people who saw her grace through some of the most challenging times as, um, as something that, to the point earlier, you know, we want from some of our politics. If we could have some more grace for each other, maybe it would be a little bit better. Well, that's well so. <laughs> Rick, does this yeah. make uh, the new prime minister's job more difficult uh, or easier uh, since, hey, you know, it's kind of like the first year of school. Everybody's new. We're, we're all getting to know each other. Well, it certainly adds a lot of different logistics, right? There are things that this prime minister uh, is going to have to do in the next two weeks that 
wasn't on the original docket, right? I mean, so her schedule will change dramatically. But it is an opportunity to sort of get into the job uh, in a very soft way when everyone's looking in a different direction, right? And they should be, right? They're going to remember the queen and her accomplishments and her impact, just the way we're talking about it. This is going to go on for a month or so. And and, and that's not a bad way to sort of get a nice walking start. Uh, Otherwise, she's thrown into the pile of political debates on the economy, on, on Brexit, on, on COVID. I mean, just the mass of issues that are going to hit yeah. a new prime minister in the situation where the UK finds itself in today is overwhelming. And maybe this is actually a little chance to get a your hands around that, and get to know your, your cabinet a little bit better. Yeah. By the time all this clears, you know, she should be pretty well organized. Makes a lot of sense. Rick Davis and Joanna Masca are with us for the course of the hour, our panel on this special edition of Bloomberg Sound On. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. I'm Joe Matthew in Washington. This is Bloomberg Sound On. A special edition as we take a look at everything that we've learned in just the last couple of hours since the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. A statement issued from the White House, though we are waiting to hear uh, remarks from President Biden, and we're going to be talking momentarily with David Smith, the Washington, D.C. bureau chief at The Guardian. Of course, as well, uh, bringing you back to some significant moments that the Queen spent here in Washington, D.C. over the course of 13 administrations. And we suspect that the king uh, will continue that trend and that tradition uh, by coming here to meet with President Biden. Of course, so many presidents spent time with the queen, and one of the best relationships that she really ever formed was with Ronald Reagan, if you remember them riding horses together when he and Nancy went to spend the night at Windsor Castle. They, of course, hosted the Queen at the White House as well. Ladies and gentlemen, happily and conscious of the honor that is ours tonight, I ask you to join me in a toast to Her Majesty the Queen. She had, uh, of course, great words for him as well. And the Reagans hosted the Queen and Philip at their ranch in California. Why don't we bring the panel back in? Rick Davis is with us here. Of course, Republican strategist and Bloomberg politics contributor joined today by Johanna Masca, Democratic strategist and CEO of the Global Situation Room. We actually had a chance to meet the Queen uh, when she was traveling with the Obama administration. Johanna, is that like a big greeting line uh, or, or do you actually get a chance to have a quick word with the Queen when you're in an environment like that? Oh, no, no, it was uh, she was actually waiting in protocol order. President Obama was coming up uh, to the um, uh 
in the car. And so it was really just standing uh, there talking very briefly before they, you know, did the handshake in front of all the press. And so, um, no, it is you, you, in my job, I got to be a fly on the wall and see all of this. And just imagining her, you know, with all of this protocol around her for the many years of her life. I mean, truly from when she was a, a child in her twenties, um, beyond, uh, it, it, you see someone and you see that responsibility that she took so seriously up close and it's, um, it must've been an incredible life, but also a very difficult life. No doubt yeah, about it. That's for sure. Uh, when you consider, uh, the idea of the new King, uh, making his first speech here, is this uh, like preparing a political address in, in the United States, Rick, or is this a very different job? Well, some of it is uh, driven by protocol. Um, you know, there, there's been thousands of years of practice, you know, in handing off uh, these kinds of uh, titles and, and what you go through. And it's not the time to shake something up, right? When, when you're given a speech in the United States, it's political. Yeah. You're trying to make press. Um, uh, in a situation like this, you're trying to avoid making press because that means you've messed up. <laughs> and, uh, and so this is ceremonial, right? This is not meant to convey, um, you know, a point of view other than the fact that you have this monarchy, you have these royals, they serve a purpose within the UK and, 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 and this is what they're supposed to do, right? They're supposed to do these, you know, jubilees in a way that people all around the world want to see them and come to their country and visit. I mean, it's the greatest chamber of commerce ever created by man, you know. And 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 so, of course, we're going to be riveted because everyone is interested in the pomp and circumstance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's it's things that storybooks are made of, and yet this is in real life. So, yeah. the hope is that this goes without any kind of problems, and you know everything is smooth and easy, and it's dramatic and beautiful, and it helps pull the country and maybe the other parts of the world together for a moment, um, and uh, in sort of common grief and expectation of a new king. So, yeah. I wouldn't. I. I don't think we want to overthink it as as if it's going to have an immediate impact on policy. I mean, obviously, the new king, King Charles III, has points of view on all range of issues, including the climate and architecture. And you know, <laughs> will he make these things a part of his mandate or his uh, his 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 kingship? Uh, who knows? Um, uh, all that we have to wait and see. When we consider uh, the planning for the funeral, Joanna, this is going to be unheralded security, I presume, right? With this, this will be the largest collection of world leaders, well, I guess, outside of, of, a, of a G20. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and obviously the UK can do this. Um, I remember when we were planning for funerals and what President Obama was doing, we were all uh, waiting um, obviously, Nelson Mandela's health was going uh, downhill, and we all knew that. Yeah. And um, and if you look at that, you know, it should have had some of the best security in in the world. And yet, um, and there were some so many issues there. I don't think you're going to have the same problem in the UK. Um, but I do think that when they're they're planning for this, they're obviously you know planning as much as it is a funeral. It's about Britain. It's about their um, continued strength as a nation. And so they're going to be trying to, um, you know, make sure that everyone is seeing that in every possible way with, 
music and with um, you know ceremony and um, and with uh, the guards and uh, everything that you can expect out of out of the Brits. And um, so I'm sure that it will be an incredible show. I guess the question is, you know, for me, looking at this, um, I think there's a lot of worry in the U.S. about the change of world order and whether there could be a change world order. I mean, we're already worried about a China that's um, showing itself as a rival to the U.S. and mm -hmm. uh, to, you know, all of these dynamics. And so I think there's going to be a lot of um, also uh, a little bit of a fear of what this means for our future. Um, and I, I think that actually President Trump has tapped into some of that fear. And I think we've got to be very careful. I'm going to be interested to see what Republicans and Democrats say yeah. About this. I mean, obviously, I don't I I wouldn't put too much in the monarch. Um, obviously, Queen Elizabeth was an incredible monarch, but um, the prime minister is very important. And I, I actually think to Rick's point, this is a perfect opportunity for her to come in and um, and really uh, get to lead the country, because I right. don't think anyone would have wanted a Boris Johnson on his way out overseeing this. So much better to have a fresh start in the UK. And um, this can be that. Sure. It, it, this this funeral is going to be like a NATO meeting, uh, Rick, yeah. when you consider who's going to be on the invite list. But there could be some careful omissions depending on your relationship, for instance. And I think to Joanna's point here with Russia and China. Sure. I, I wouldn't imagine, even though it might be part of the protocol, that, that Vladimir Putin's going to get an invite you know, to the funeral. Uh, well, I, right. I hope not. Um, and he was honored with a dinner at Buckingham Palace. That's right. That Look, wouldn't I mean, a couple of years ago have been that, that bizarre. No. And, uh, but time changes everything. And That's this right. time is very different than, than at that point in time. So um, th these will be the things they have to struggle with, right? And obviously, you know, the, the relationship with China is even more complex because it's a big trading partner. You know, there's competition for them. And yet, you know, we do know that uh, some of that competition uh, you know, uh, is is dangerous. It's, it, it could affect the world order, as uh, Joanna mentioned. So, uh, yeah. And, 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 and by the way, within your own Commonwealth, uh, you know, there are challenges uh, with some of these leaders uh, who may not have as much commitment to democracy as um, as we do here in the United States or they do in Britain. So uh, it sure. means Joe Biden's going to have a, a meeting with the prime minister sooner than he thought, though, doesn't it? Sure. And we would hope that that actually would be part of what helps her. Right. Yes, um, right. It's another boost up for her to be able to get the embrace from the United States and other countries in Europe at a time when, you know, maybe she would have been left out in the cold for a while to see how she does. So this is <laughs> this is an opportunity for her to really uh, cast in 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 a positive way at a time yeah. of grief. Um, uh, to get a good launch and uh, into her administration. There was talk of the two meeting, President Biden and, and Prime Minister Truss, uh, Joanna, off on the sidelines kind of at the at the U.N., uh, but this would be, I'm sure, a much more focused and much more uh, well-covered event when they, when they meet for the first time on what I presume will be his visit in 10 days to London. Well, and that actually goes right into the U.N. So I am sure that the White House is right now scrambling all of its plans that it yeah. had because all of those things are planned well in advance. I mean, the National Security Advisor is working on who they're meeting with, especially when we're trying to build coalitions to continue 
the war against Putin's aggression, the genocide that Putin is overseeing. I mean, this is the White House absolutely is now, you know, trying to change all of these plans because the week of the 19th, they're supposed to be in New York for the UN General Assembly. And so if we look in 10 days from now, um, it is it's uh, it obviously he's going to have to meet with uh, the British prime minister. Um, but there are a lot of meetings that they're probably trying to figure out where is yeah. it going to take place? <laughs> How true. Boy, there is uh, just uh, the, the logistics are daunting when you consider uh, the next 10 days here. Uh, lastly, Rick, though, you see the president and the vice president going. How many other officials from Washington are there? The Speaker of the House and who else? You know, it, it'll it'll be dictated by protocol. And yeah. um, and and so that's it, it really and it'll be limited by accessibility. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, and not everybody's going to be able to, to travel. So uh, my, my guess is uh, it'll be most of official Washington, you yeah. know, who make the first cut. And 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 this is not going to be seen by anybody, I believe, in any p- kind of um partisan fashion right there's no political advantage to stiffing the brits and not going to the funeral or otherwise and uh so you know maybe we can take a little breath in the middle of a midterm election and say you know (laughs) what let's all get on the same plane and go over and and play nice for at least 48 hours rick davis and joanna masca thank you for the great panel and the great conversation on a special edition of bloomberg sound on i'm joe matthew in washington Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. Her Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine, oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at CarterEconomicForum.com.